Welcome to the Magic and Alchemy podcast, where we talk about witchcraft, setting intentions, forgotten folklore, and mythology. Created by Tamed Wild, magicandalchemy.com is a collection of stories, rituals, and articles crafted by a variety of creators and writers, including myself, Kate Ballou, and my co-host, Kristen Lizenby. Hello, and welcome back to the Magic and Alchemy podcast. I'm Kristen Lizenby. And I'm Kate Ballou. Happy Wednesday, witches. We are so thrilled to be here today for a special interview with a fellow word witch. Yes, today we have Maya Toll here with us. Welcome to the podcast, Maya. Thank you. So happy to be here. Yes. Um, Maya and I first met here in New York City over vegan key lime pie and a love of herbs, word witchery, and all things mystical a few years ago. And since that first fated meeting, I've been a part of Maya's world and every moment has been absolutely magical. So thank you for being here, Maya. Yeah, you're welcome. And I love that every moment has been magical. (laughs) (laughs) So true. (laughs) Exaggeration. (laughs) I would never. Um, But to share your work with our listeners, I'd love to share your beautiful bio. Uh, Maya Toll is the author of the best-selling and award-winning Wild Wisdom series. With over 100,000 copies sold, the illustrated herbiary, the illustrated bestiary, and the illustrated crystallary have inspired a line of puzzles and oracle decks. The seeds for this series were planted when Maya apprenticed with a traditional healer in Ireland where she spent extensive time studying the growing cycles of plants, the alchemy of medicine-making, and the psycho-spiritual aspects of healing. These experiences reawakened interest in philosophy and the history of mysticism, which had been a large part of Maya's academic studies at the University of Michigan and New York University. Maya's books build on this foundation, eloquently translating patterns and metaphors from the natural world to help modern seekers understand and grow within their own lives. She also owns an herb shop called Herbiary and currently lives in Asheville, North Carolina, as does the founder of Tamed Wild, so you two will have to connect, with her partner and two ridiculously spoiled dogs. So, Maya, you're on a bit of a book tour right now, and with your fourth book coming out, congratulations. Thank you. The newest is called The Wild Wisdom Companion, and I know that we'd love it if you could just share a little bit about the series and what the words wild wisdom mean to you. Yeah, so the series actually started um, as a memoir. I was, I was working on a memoir and at the head of each chapter was a little tidbit about the plants. And that's what over time um, evolved into the illustrated herbiary. So the books kind of came first and then we realized like, oh, this is a series and like, how are we going to lasso them all together? Um, and what I was thinking about was the three medicine kingdoms. So if you kind of study ancient medicine, especially um, in the Asian areas of the world, there were three kingdoms that were used for medicine, animal, 
vegetable, mineral, right? So plants, stones, and and animals, and you know, let's like call it what it was at this point. Like animals meant like using a rhino horn, or you know, three hairs from the tail of a lion, or or whatever it was. Um, so I was thinking about that and trying to come up with it, you know, with something that would hold these books together. And for me, this is this is ancient wisdom made modern, right? Um, but there's also something in it that is not as tame as our everyday lives. That's the word wild. Um, and there are like, to be, you know, to be honest, there were lots of different things thrown around um, as we were thinking about this, because this is, this is an interesting thing. I'm going to be working with a new publishing house and that will be announced, I think in December or January in terms of who it is and what we're working on. But my mm-hmm. current publishing house does not let me name my books nor do they let me name things like the series. So, um, you know, while I, yeah, yeah, it was, it was a big deal and something I tried to get out of the contract, but it's a deal killer for them. If they can't name the books, they don't publish the books. Um, Mm. so, you know, with, with all of these books, um, the naming is not solely mine. And with the the series, the naming is not solely mine. Um, It's a group decision. <laughs> Book publishing is so fascinating. <laughs> Book publishing is fascinating and it's really publisher by publisher. It's not the same at every, at every publishing house. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's not one set of rules. It's many sets of rules. Yeah. Something I love about the books is kind of like the, um, I don't know, this like uh, active, like ritual component. Like I often think about, kind of the one I can't remember which planet is about um the sort of like root that you imagine dropping down into the earth maybe is that burdock maybe oh I have no idea (laughs) (laughs) but I love that sort of like not I don't want to call it like practical magic or practical wild wisdom but these sorts of like ways that we can um access that space yeah, I actually love the word practical. I have, you know, no issues with it at all. Um, for me, people like what I see a lot out on out on the web, whether it's Instagram or Facebook or podcasts, is like people prescribing rituals. And, mm-hmm. you know, everyone says, says to me, how did you come up with so many rituals? I came up with so many rituals because I never do the same ritual twice. In the moment, I feel into the situation, see what needs to happen, see what energy needs to shift and come up with what I want to do to shift that energy. Um, Mm. So, you know, each of those little rituals to me are meant to be more of a suggestion, like try something like this, as Mm -hmm. opposed to do exactly this. Um, I, I don't actually believe that we can step into each other's magic. You know, like, I know that like, people who do ritual magic, um, the way I think about it is almost like you're getting on the freeway, you know, like it's a, it's a track that has been well honed over time. Um, but that's not what I do. I, I feel like for me, um, what I'm always trying to do is to feel into the energy of any situation and then see what needs to shift and then think about what I need to do to shift it. And the truth is, 
to shift energy, you don't need anything, but to give it a push. I mean, energy moves very easily, but our human brains need a little something, right? And mm-hmm. so I'm, what I'm actually doing is assisting myself when I, you know, do that as opposed to like, I don't, I don't think that, um, jumping around three times, waving smoke in the air or whatever. I don't think that that does shit. Mm -hmm. What changes something is me manipulating the energies and pushing the energies in a different direction. And all that jumping around and calling the quarters or whatever you want to do, I do that to assist me. Mm. The universe Mm -hmm. doesn't need me to do any of that. Um, it helps me to align my energy to get my energy where it needs to go. Mm. If that makes any sense. Um, so all of those rituals are kind of suggestions that you can then take and be like, okay, something like this. And I'm going to feel into the energy that I'm in, in this particular moment and see, you know, how to kind of cozy up to it and get it to, shift a little bit this way or that way, um, which might mean changing the ritual. And also if the ritual doesn't speak to you, then it doesn't mm-hmm. work. If the whole point is for it to help you align with you and with your brain and with the energies within you, so you can reweave them. Um, if you're not vibing with it, then it just doesn't work. End of story. Totally. We, um, I took a writing class with C.A. Conrad once. I don't know if you know their work, but um, they were talking about how kind of like ritual and these rules or these guidelines can like make us be more radically present. And I loved that because it like was kind of like you build the framework to then move into. But exactly that, like it has to resonate with you. Like I think C.A. was like, oh, I went to go lay on the same sidewalk every day and then I would draw from different angles and then I would write the poem. Like that wouldn't necessarily work for me, you know, but. Well, but I love that idea of radical presence, right? Because I think that's just another way of saying aligning with the energies, mm-hmm. right? It's just different words for the same thing. It's you're, you're bringing your whole self to the situation so that you can see what the heck's going on, not just on the physical realm, but on all the realms. Yeah. I feel like sometimes people get so caught up in like the rules of things, like, but that's just playing more into like perfectionism. And I know that, you know, Kristen and I are often telling people like, you know, you have to do like, you are just inherently magic yourself, you know, and the rest of it will follow. (laughs) Yeah. My teacher used to say, my teacher in Ireland, you know, use the tools until you don't need the tools anymore. Um, Mm. Because it's not about the tools. Mm-hmm. That just gave me like the truth bumps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm so fascinated by your experience in Ireland and I know a little bit about it, but it would be amazing if you could share that with our listeners. Yeah. So um, I studied for just about a year with a traditional healer. Um, she identified as a witch and a druid, and she was very well trained as an herbalist. Um, so I went to Ireland um, kind of on a whim. It was not like a great big planned out journey. It, it was not something that I'd been like 
moving toward my whole life, at least not that I, you know, not that I knew of. Um, I had a house in a little town called Beacon, New York. And one of the museums from New York city decided to open a like annex there. And all of a sudden Beacon, which was, you know, just a old mill town got new life and property values went through the roof. So I was able to sell my house for four times what I bought it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I was a teacher at the time. I was teaching uh, second grade, fourth grade poetry. I taught all sorts of things. And I gave myself a sabbatical. I said, okay, you got a year off, girlfriend. What are you going to do with it? Um, And so I made a giant list of all the things I was interested in. And it was, you know, it was a big list, like a page long of pottery and herbalism and jewelry making and poetry, so many things. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm going to study one or many of these things over this year. And then I had a dream, like a sleeping dream. And, um, in the dream, I was shown Ireland and I was told, this is where you're going to go to be initiated. So I started cross-referencing, you know, Ireland plus everything on my list, Ireland plus jewelry making, Ireland plus pottery, Ireland plus herbalism. And that's how I ended up, um, you know, going to Ireland and studying with, with this teacher. Uh, so it was not meant to be a new career path. It was just meant to be a year off. Um, but life had other ideas and <laughs> it, it became kind of the, the foundation upon which everything else rests in terms of like daily life in Ireland, you know, I I think that we have this romanticism, like, oh, you went off and studied with an herbalist in Ireland. That's amazing. On a daily basis, I was like digging in the garden, planting, planting things, (laughs) uh, wandering around the fields for hours and hours, avoiding the bull who liked to charge me while trying to gather (laughs) herbs. Um, You know, like it was not, it, it was often not romantic at all. Like it was often very, very lonely. Um, it wasn't like I was having fun 24 seven. It wasn't even like I was learning something obvious 24 seven. Like a lot of times I was kind of doing the, the labor of making the medicine and things like that. Um, it was an absolutely incredible experience. And I would say if you are looking to change your life, like a full immersion in something new is absolutely the way to go but, you know, take the romance out of it. Like, like bring, bring sturdy boots and good gloves. Cause you're going to be working. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot of mulch, uh, involved in my herbalism <laughs> apprenticeship. <laughs> it's such an important aspect of it though. You know, like the mm-hmm. dirty parts, because like you said, gardening and working with plants and herbalism has been romanticized so much but it's dirty work and sweaty and, um, yeah, it's definitely worth it though. Yeah. The way you feel after like a day in the sun, after hard work, it's like, I don't know. It's a special sort of feeling. I feel like. Yeah. It's a, it's a very particular kind of tired. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love to like, I love the, um, the one year I'm going to do this for one year life path thing like I know like Kristen like I'm gonna move to the Azores for one year and try it out or I'm gonna move to New York City for one year and then I'll probably leave or something but it's like it's funny how those like small um 
breadcrumb moments are like the most magical and can change everything. Yeah. Well, I think you're, you're giving yourself permission, but you're also leaving yourself kind of a safety net, Mm -hmm. right? Like I don't have to do this forever because if you went into something thinking like, I I have to do this forever, I have to make it work. First of all, that's incredible pressure. Um, Right. But I think also it takes time to adjust and to learn and to like take yourself through all the steps of actually being in a new place. And if you were thinking that entire time that you couldn't get out of it, it would really color, I think, that initial experience. Mm-hmm. And, and I like, I just think that there'd, there'd be resentment baked into the cake unless things were going really, really perfectly. Whereas when things aren't going perfectly, you can say to yourself, I can do this for a year. I'm learning something that's worthwhile. Like you can, you can justify it even in the miserable moments, um, without letting the resentment get baked into the experience. If that makes any sense. Absolutely. So I'm curious, like before choosing herbalism or Ireland, like what was your relationship to magic or witchery or even the word witch itself? Yeah. So that's a great question. Um, before Ireland, there were a couple different threads I was pulling on. Um, first off, herbalism, I, I got sick in my twenties and the medical system did not know what to do with me. Um, luckily I had a medical doctor who kind of knew what she didn't know, which is incredibly unusual. She was, um, an MD, but she was studying Chinese medicine. And so she kind of said to me like, look, I can see that there are these patterns going on here that don't make any sense in the Western medicine framework. But I think that from a different lens, they're going to make sense. Um, and so I was living in New York city at the time. And she sent me off into the wilds of New York. And at that point it was the wilds. I mean, we're talking more than 20 years ago. And a lot of these modalities were not accepted at all. Like today, I feel like we're at the point where, um, even people who won't use acupuncture or homeopathy themselves, or at least aware of the words, they kind of know these things exist. At Mm -hmm. that point, you know, I was visiting basement apartments with someone whose like credentials were kind of sketchy because it was, it was so outsider. And so I was looking for, you know, answers to these health issues. Um, and just like going through these different modalities that, um, I knew nothing about except what that practitioner presented to me. There just wasn't kind of the information in the, like the broader psyche at that point. Um, so I became interested in herbs. It wasn't people I say, oh, herbs healed you. No, about 57 million things healed me. Ultimately what healed me was realizing that I had a problem with wheat. This was before anyone talked about gluten or celiac or, or anything, um, mm-hmm. and cutting that entirely out of my diet. That's what, that's what did it. Um, but I became fascinated with herbs and with this older medicine. And that kind of segued in with my interest in um, mysticism and older religions. I was a philosophy major in, in college. So I've always been just kind of wondering, like, 
what are the boundaries of kind of the human psyche and the subconscious and the human experience? And, you know, is the way that we live the only way to live? And what's like, where's the line between true and false with a lot of the stories and fairy tales and, and things that we've read. Um, so I was coming in from, from that place. Um, and then layered on top of that, I had decided to, uh, study to get my interfaith ministry. Um, I don't even know what it is certificate degree. It was a two-year program. And so I was reading a lot of the, the, like the older texts from various religions. Um, and I was also near Omega Institute in New York. And so there were a lot of people living there who were involved in shamanic studies and who had studied with various Native American medicine people. And um, the communities that I was in at that point were also kind of opening up other channels of study. But it was a giant stew pot at the time that I went to Ireland. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Maya, what was it like going from, you know, this big stew pot you mentioned to working with somebody who identified as a witch and, um, you know, had a set spiritual path? That's a good question. It's, I would say it wasn't easy for either of us, you know, for like, there was a certain amount on my side of, of skepticism, uh, about, the ways in which she chose to express things. And I think on her side, you know, here I was living in her home, studying with her. And I definitely had moments where I was like, how, what? Like, you know, not about what she was teaching me, but about the the ways that she was um, presenting the lessons and presenting herself. You know, I remember finding her website and she had a picture on her website of of herself sitting at a giant hearth. Um, and her hair is long and red and she had on a cloak and was holding like, you know, a staff. Um, and I remember just looking at that picture and being like, what the heck, you know, (laughs) (laughs) like, like, what is this? Like there's, and I, you know, I have to say still, I, I don't quite know what to do with performative witchery. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't know how to read that because I think for me, my practices are so internal. I don't want anyone to look at me when I'm off in the woods doing whatever I'm doing. Like I am, I am busy um, not looking at the material world. Like I am busy reading the energies and trying to reweave them or just feel into them or just be with them. I don't even like, I don't want to think about how my physical self looks in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's vastly confusing to me still 20 years later, um, to have this kind of like, focus on the physical self and what it looks like to oneself and to other people. Um, mm-hmm. cause it's just not like, it's not where my focus is in those moments. Um, that said, I learned like so much from Gina's devotion, you know, and I like the word devotion is, is the one that comes top to mind. 
when mm-hmm. I think about um, the way that she lived, because she was a, a devotee of uh, the goddess Bridget. And there were so many pieces of that that were woven into her life. Like she kept a lantern with an inter- an eternal flame going all the mm-hmm. time. Like that candle did not go out. She arranged her life around swapping out that candle when it was about to, to go down. Um, and the original flame had come from, there was an old temple of uh, St. Bridget in Ireland and um, there was a relighting of the sacred flame there. And so the flame in Gina's house came from the flame. Oh, at wow. that, right. And then it was just lit over and over, candle to candle to candle. Um, so like that kind of devotion, that daily devotion is not something that I understood from my childhood. You know, I un- I understood it in different ways. Like for instance, I was a horseback rider and like, you didn't get to skip a day at the barn. Your horse needed its hooves cleaned out and it needed fresh mm-hmm. water. So like that was like the same kind of devotion, but it was in the physical realm, not in the spiritual realm. And so to see someone applying that level of devotion to the spirit realm was an incredible lesson for me. Like, and one I learned every day watching her. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's like life-changing. Yeah. Yeah. It's to, a- to witness that. Yep. Yeah. And what's interesting is like, to me, like that's, what's real, you know, the long red hair, the hearth, the staff, you know, that, that was like, I did not see, see that. Well, the long red hair I saw in her everyday life, obviously. Um, and I saw her sneaking into the bathroom to dye it. Um, but you know, like those were not pieces of her daily life, kneeling in front of that lantern, swapping out the candle. That was real. Mm. Um, so I still have that, you know, like what's real, what's not, what language do we put on? these things? How do we, how do we move through the world? Like for ourselves, how do we move through the world for others? Mm -hmm. You know, and I think it gets all, all woven together. And it's, it's something that I've, you know, I I have never gotten to a point of comfort with like calling myself a witch, a word, witch, yeah. But like just Mm -hmm. that out, not witch, I call myself witchy Mm -hmm. because those performative moments um, have so colored for me what it means to be a witch. And I'm not like, I'm not going to do that. You know, you all can't see me, but like, I'm in a zip up hoodie. My hair is not red. My fingernails are not painted. Um, like I, I just, there, there's a bridge that I, I, I can't quite cross and, more and more and more, I feel like the word witch has um, become more and more performative. Mm-hmm. And also more and more, like, you're supposed to do certain things. You know, like when mm-hmm. I when I go on Instagram, people are like, like, happy llamas. I'm like, okay, no, no. You know, mm-hmm. that it doesn't even register for me. 
um, depending on where you live, the grain is brought in at different times. So is the grain really being brought in where you live on August 1st? Are you going out to the farm and getting fresh grain and baking bread with it? Like, do you know what the fuck llamas means? Mm. I just wanted to build off of um, what you were saying, you know, talking about bringing in the grain and these sabbats that are based on agricultural themes. That's one thing that I always ask Kate, you know, living in the city, I'm always so curious how a city witch celebrates these moments versus somebody who, you know, actually farms or is still involved in the earth a lot. Yeah, I think, you know, it's kind of like what we were talking about in the beginning, like building rituals that make sense and like speak to to your life. And I feel like, you know, being so inspired by, you know, moments of my childhood in Michigan now paired with, you know, whatever is here in Brooklyn and then or upstate New York, which living in Beacon, you know, is such a magical place. Um, But it looks, it can look different for everyone because of that. And it's so interesting to me because it's like, I actually might find dyeing my hair red or or cutting my hair or something to be a part of my practice because I feel so bodily altered, which is like my tattoos and stuff like that. And so it's so fascinating to just see how many different relationships to these cycles and words and meanings. And it's, I think it's really beautiful. Yeah. And I, I love that you called that out that, you know, first of all, we all have different relationships, but then also how we are embodying, how we are putting these things on our bodies. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but, it, but again, I, I think that there's that question of who's it for, mm. you know, mm-hmm. like I, I have a glyph on my forearm Um, I don't even know what it means. I saw it in a vision and it was on my arm. So I went and got it tattooed on my arm. Um, And it's like, it's a reminder for me. I had it tattooed in um, like (laughs) kind of almost skin color. Like no, nobody notices it. Mm -hmm. Right. And so again, it's, I, I go back to the, like, we do do things with our bodies and on our bodies and in our bodies, mm-hmm. but who's it for? And that's kind of like any start of a ritual, right? Is like setting that intention. Like what is this intended to do before, et cetera. And so that makes all of the sense that that would be the first considered thing, you know, or yeah. should be, or could be. I'm trying to remove the word should from my language. <laughs> How's that going? <laughs> you know, I say good luck with that. Depends on the day. <laughs> Just continually calling myself out. <laughs> uh, I'm just, but... I'm just sorry, Kate. I'm just thinking about that. Like you've kind of made it a should that you can't use the word should. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I didn't even think about it like that, but yes. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Oh, so where shall we go? Now that that I've told all the the people on Instagram (laughs) that their performative witchcraft is. (laughs) Calling them out. I think it's such a good, important conversation, though. It's like, yeah, Mm -hmm. I don't know. 
yeah, appearance when it comes to that type of stuff obviously isn't everything. It's, I feel like a tool that we can use, you know, if we want to, but at the same time, um, you know, it is just that I feel like it's a tool. And like you were saying, Maya, earlier, I don't remember if it was when we were recording or not, but, um, you know, you don't need tools. They're there to assist us, but, you know, they're not necessary for any ritual. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's interesting too, because I think I've talked to Kate about this a little bit or texted with Kate about this a little bit. Um, this is the last movie, Witch Camp. And, and some of that is, I mean, it's like an amazing, it's an amazing program. Thousands of people have gone through over the years. And I think that it's deeply enriching. Um, Mm -hmm. but when I started using the word, witch, it, it wasn't out in popular, popular culture. And so it was a word, um, that I was making meaning for. And I was able to talk to people about like the archetype of the word witch and how we can approach this archetype to learn different things about ourselves. And uh, so I was really taking a word that people were definitely reactive to. We've had you know too many years of wicked witches to, to not be reactive mm-hmm. to it. And also too many years um, of hard history of things like witch bands and things like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's, it's, it is a word that um, can be triggering, but it wasn't being commonly used at that point. And so I was able to take this word and say like, hey, let's make meaning around this word. This is a great word for what we're doing when we're interacting with the natural world in a way that... Um, respects its aliveness and our connection to its aliveness. Mm. But what I've noticed over the years is that which has begun to take on more and more meaning from the larger culture. And so it's a harder lift to mm-hmm. make meaning with that word than it used to be. And what I'm finding now is that meaning is being put on me Um, that is not necessarily meaning that I identify or relate to because I'm using that word. And so it's Mm -hmm. been a really interesting progression to go from from making meaning to having meaning made um, and not being Mm -hmm. able to avoid it, like a giant wave coming at you that you're like, whoa, that's not where I'm coming from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I saw a meme the other day and it was like, please don't perceive me. And I started laughing so much because it's like that sort of unavoidable thing of other people placing identity on you and then negotiating that can be so complicated. But also like what you were saying, that kind of connection to the earth, like what is that word then, you know? Um, And Kristen and I have used the word earth spirited in some moments. And I kind of think that that's beautiful, but um, I have a teacher, a poetry teacher, who was like, we kind of like lost the thread, like the latitude and longitude lines got removed from our bodies and we got placed outside of them instead of that like sort of integration. But like, then what is the word, you know, and how do we make meaning in that way? Yeah, I love that image, the latitude and longitude lines just, and then where are you, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can feel where you are, but you can't tell someone else where you are. 
Um, and I think that that's, that's what's been interesting all along for me on this path is I can feel where I am, but it's always been very hard for me to tell someone else where I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and like that search for language that connects with the feelings has been really incredibly difficult. And I'd say it's like, it's been an ongoing challenge. Um, and one that I, however many books later still has not gone away. Mm -hmm. And this book that's coming out, I mean, I I haven't read it yet, but it, it is kind of cyclically and like seasonally built, right? It is, it is. Um, so kind of moving through the relationship to the earth with, with the cycles and seasons. Correct. Yep. Okay. And using elements from, you know, the other three books. So weaving in plant medicine, animal medicine, and stone medicine um, into the cycle of the year. But like within that cycle, um, I don't use the Celtic words for, mm. um, the seasonal holidays because mm-hmm. they're not, they're not my words. I mean, like I'd say the one word that I use is Samhain, mm-hmm. um, which for those of you not familiar is S-A-M-H-A-I-N, which, you know, <laughs> a lot of people are running around saying Samhain. Um, it's Samhain. Like my father. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's good that your father is saying it at all. Um, but you know, <laughs> the reason that I, that I personally use that one is because I was in, Ireland over that particular holiday. And it was one that, that like a group of us, um, were invited to my, my teacher's house and the celebration and the way that it was, um, presented was so rich and so real for me that Mm. it became a real marker in the year you know, like to have a group of people sitting around with a bodron, that's one of those handheld drums, um, telling stories about people in their lives who have passed. And, Mm. you know, we put out plates of food for, um, any wandering ancestors who might be hungry. I mean, there was, there was a depth and a richness to, um, that holiday for me that made it real and made it a part of, um, you know, how I see the cycle of the year Mm. in a way that none of like, and I was there for, for other holidays, Mm -hmm. but they either, either we just didn't have any kind of like gathering like that, you know, even though, um, my teacher identified as a witch, this idea of Sabbaths was like, "Mm." whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, so either the other holidays just didn't resonate or we just didn't like, they just kind of, you know, came and went. Um, mm-hmm. so Samhain is the one that for me, like it's separate from Halloween. It's not the same thing. Halloween mm-hmm. is an American holiday. I don't know if it's celebrated in other places that has to do with costumes and candy. Mm-hmm. And Samhain is a, like a spiritual opening of a portal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that, so that one has absolutely stuck for me, but in terms of the book, it is, it's not based on, um, using that language. 
Mm. You know, the seasons are, are, I I have eight seasons, like early winter, late winter, early spring, late Mm -hmm. spring. So that, you know, if someone does identify with the language of the Sabbaths, they can insert those right in there. And if they don't, um, it's not an obstacle to using and understanding the book. Because, you know, that language is an obstacle for me a lot of the times. Mm. I think that's beautiful. And this will, this episode will air like right before Samhain as well, which is kind of special. (laughs) That's perfect. Yeah. And so I guess, do you have any kind of advice or wisdom or practical magic around someone maybe wanting to celebrate for the first time or in a different way or any inspiration there? For Samhain? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I think that what's important to remember about all of these holidays is that we have put them on a calendar day at this point. But traditionally, originally, they were not on a calendar day. Like Mamas, which I mentioned before, was the the day of the first grain harvest, whenever the hell that happened. Like Beltane being when the hawthorn blossoms come. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so Samhain um, was, and I I, I don't remember exactly what the the astronomical um, lineup is, but Samhain has a very particular astronomy. And when that happens in the sky, that's Samhain. So for instance, like this past year, it was more like November 7th. Mm. Like it, it doesn't necessarily line up with um, when the calendar says it is. So I would start by saying for anyone who's kind of like new and like, ooh, I, I love this idea of having a time and space to um, connect with anyone who's passed and with the ancestors um, that first of all, feel into it. It feels like a portal opens. There's a sense of otherworldliness that starts to infuse into the days. And it might not be on the exact day that, you know, your wee moon calendar says someone is. Um, So first of all, feel into it. Second of all, it's not a singular moment. It is a portal, which like, just like the solstices and the equinoxes, like there's a time period where you're in that window. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you're going out with the kids on Halloween and like the most important thing around that time is getting their costumes ready and enjoying that time with them, by all means do that. Like mm-hmm. get rid of the rigidity and the, the rules and start feeling into um, what feels right in your body, what feels right to your intuition um, and find that moment. And you also can look up like astronomical Samhain and you can figure out when it, when it is like, that's something that is Google-able. Um, yes, Google. <laughs> <laughs> Grandma Google knows all. Um, and she also knows a lot of shit. Um, so, you know, I, I think that that to me is, is the beginning. Like if, if it doesn't feel like it's Samhain on the date that your calendar says it's Samhain, then it's not Samhain, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Samhain is, is the moment that the portal opens, not the moment that the calendar tells you. 
So um, I always feel into it. And for me, I keep it super, super simple. Um, I make a plate usually off of like just my own dinner plate and I take it outside. And I, you know, in that moment of walking out the door, sometimes words come, sometimes a song comes, sometimes some kind of physical, you know, like walk around the tree 17 times and pat your head, whatever. Sometimes something comes. And if I feel something moving through me, then I move with it. Mm-hmm. And if I don't, I put down my plate, I whisper thank you, and I go inside. And I I don't put any um, restrictions around what I do, nor do I put judgment on what I don't do. Um, you know, I have no idea how it's going to play out. Sometimes I'll have a dream or sometimes I'll fish out an old piece of jewelry without even realizing it. I'll be like, Oh, I want to wear this. And I'll be like, that was my aunt seals. Hi Mm -hmm. aunt seal. What's up? You know? So like, I just trust that it's going to play the way it needs to play in the moment. And I, and I take the pressure off and I take, um, the performance for myself for the ancestors, for anyone on Instagram, like none of that's on the plate. Mm-hmm. And and I would stress that like that performance for yourself. Cause I do think that a lot of times when we're being performative, we're being performative for ourselves. I need to prove to myself that I am witchy enough or that I'm observant enough or that I am devoted enough or that I give a shit about my ancestors enough. Um, so if you can take that away, then, you know, after, after you let that fall away, something else is able to move through you. Like the energy of that time period can be present with you instead of your judgment being present with you. Yeah. Like judgment as the dam in the river. (laughs) Yeah. Judgment is, is always the dam in the river. Like you're, if you're judging, you're in your head. Mm Mm-hmm not in your heart, not in your intuition. Mm. Oh, it sounds so easy when we're just talking about it. And then... <laughs> As an Aquarius, I'm like, oh my God, no. <laughs> you know what though? I, I, I'm not going to pretend. I mean, you've just, all you have to do is replay this podcast to hear that I have judgments. Um, mm-hmm we're not talking about wiping judgments out of your life entirely. We're talking about like a small judgment free zone. And I try to treat my brain like a recalcitrant child in these moments. It's not that judgments don't come up. It's Mm -hmm. like, I'm like, okay, got it. You know, you think there's this thing you should do. Let's talk about that later. Right now, we're just going to put the plate down take a couple deep breaths, hang out, you know, and go inside and talk about all the things you should have done. Um, so like, there's this kind of, I picture like my soul or my psyche kind of like stepping out of the active brain and kind of putting itself in, in a different sphere. 
mm-hmm. where it can observe my brain going bah, 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 and just be like, okay, gotcha. You might have some important stuff. Thanks for stopping by. Yeah, you might have some, <laughs> some important stuff to talk about. We'll get to that in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is where, you know, this, like I just, I think that when we start talking about stuff like this, you begin to see how different spiritual practices are absolutely aligned. How many times have you heard a meditation teacher or a yoga teacher say something just like that? You know, mm-hmm. like all of this stuff is just different ways of expressing the desire for connection. Maya, it seems like intuition is like a huge part of your practice. And I feel like it's something that's talked often about in the witchy community, you know, trusting your intuition and everything. Do you have any suggestions for people who maybe are struggling knowing if what they're feeling or hearing or seeing is intuitive or if it's, you know, ego-based. Yeah. It takes a while to sort that out. You know, it, it takes a, like years to sort that out. So again, I'd say start by being gentle with yourself. Um, keep a notebook, note down what you're experiencing so that you can go back and, you know, check yourself because that's mm-hmm. how you're going to learn what's what's really going on. But I think that the most important thing with intuition is intuition does not come from that judgy voice in your brain. And so learning to hear that judgy voice in your brain and separate yourself from it is key. Um, you know, that Intuition comes through your body. It comes through your heart. It can come up as like clear cognizance, clear knowing. But when it does, it's a different voice than judgy voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you need to learn to identify like the different ways that you talk to yourself, essentially. We're not talking about a split personality. We're talking about all the different ways that you communicate with you. Um, mm-hmm. I think that observation is super important. Mm -hmm. Yes. So observing not only what you see and what you hear, um, but what you feel. And especially if you think that you have a knowing, see if you can find it in your body, you know, is it living in your body somewhere or is it just like a clarion in your brain? Mm -hmm. And is it beating you up? Intuition does not beat you up. Um, So I think those are some markers to start with, but really just keeping some notes so that over time you can, you know, you can start to identify it's, I was learning to work with my intuition right after 9-11 and it was really interesting because I, you know, I'd have these moments where I'd be like, oh my God, anthrax in the subway. There's going to be anthrax in the subway. And I would then go watch the news to see if there was anthrax in the subway. And I got myself on this like crazy treadmill where I'd watch the news. I would take things in. I would morph them into something in my brain and then be like, I have an intuitive hit. Should I call the police? Should, you know, like, I, like, I mean, I, I made it into this humongous drama. Mm. If you're making it into a humongous drama, it is not intuition. I can pretty mm-hmm. much guarantee you. Um, intuition comes in soft and clear. And I find for myself, 
that either I know stuff and there's nothing to do. Like I, I have woken up and said to my partner, a plane crashed last night and he'll hop on the news and, you know, sure enough, there will have been a, a plane crash. Um, there's nothing I can do, right? It's like listening to, it's like, I, I think of it like listening to the radio. It's kind of like you're listening to the psychic airwaves. Um, I don't need to take action. A plane crashed last night. It happened. Um, mm-hmm. Or I get a hit that is very much directive for me, but it's not drama. It's like, mm, don't go that route. You know, turn left where I normally would have gone straight. And then later I find out there was an accident and I would have sat in traffic for 45 minutes. Um, mm-hmm. But it's not like a great big debate or um, conversation like, oh, should I go left? Should I go right? It's just all of a sudden I'm driving along and I'm like, mm, I'm not going to take River Road today. I think I'm going to hop on the highway. Witchcraft to avoid traffic should be <laughs> a, a book. <laughs> you could probably sell that book. <laughs> also parking witchcraft, finding a parking space. Yes. 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 <laughs> How I find lost keys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Well, I think that we're running out of time, sadly, for today. But Maya, before we go, can you tell our listeners where they can find uh, more of your work or connect with you? Yeah. So uh, my website's Maya Toll, M A I A T O L L dot com. And um, that's the best place to see what's going on. And then I keep up an Instagram account. I'm sometimes on Facebook um, and newsletter newsletter. Absolutely. Sign up for the newsletter and that can, you can do that on my website. And then, you know, the books are available wherever you buy books, um, support your small local independent bookstores. You can always ask them to order them. Thank you so much, Maya, and all of our listeners for joining us today on Magic and Alchemy, a podcast from Tamed Wild. Again, we're Kristen Lizenby and Kate Ballou. You can find us online at Easton Alchemy and at K8 Ballou. Send us all of your questions, comments, or just say hello via email at podcast at tamedwild.com. You can view all the amazing offerings from Tamed Wild on their Instagram, at Tamed Wild, or on the blog, magicandalchemy.com. Tune in to next week's episode where Kristen and I discuss the witch's altar. Just a reminder that magic and alchemy are always available to those who know where to look for it. So mote it be or something better. Until next time. Until next time.